Will you stand with me, please? I'm reading to you from John chapter 20, beginning at the first verse. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away. She runneth and come to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. I think it's like four times here. John calls himself the other guy. Whom Jesus loved and saith unto him, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. And we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. He, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin That was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Watch this. Then went in also that other disciple, who would be John, which came first. And he saw and believed. So my question is simply, what will it take? What will it take? The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Despite his repeated efforts to get them ready, it is so obvious they were in shock when he died. At least, at least three times, Jesus told them what was going to happen. There is um, Matthew chapter 16, where he's polling his disciples. And he said, um, okay, what are they saying about me? Who, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're uh, John the Baptist. Um, You're one of them guys. So then Jesus rewires the conversation and cranks up the amperage. And he says, okay, what about you? That's what they're saying. What do you say? Who, who do you think I am? This is the famous place where Peter says, you're the, you're the Christos. You're the Christ. You're the anointed Messiah. You're Jehovah in flesh. You're the God-man. And he said, uh, you know, because you didn't get this going to Bible college, you, uh, you just had a revelation because it appears you are more prone to revelatory impulses than the other. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll back you up in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you were here Wednesday night in Bible class, if there's only one heaven then why in the world would there have been a need to bind something out of control there or to let something go that 
was bound and tied up that needed to be loose. It's heavens, Psalms 19, heavens, plural. Paul said third heaven. There's a third heaven, then reason dictates there's a second heaven and there's a first. Heavens. After that giving of the keys to Peter, Jesus said this. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. The very next chapter, chapter 17 of Matthew, is the famous chapter where Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the mountain. It's known as the Transfiguration. The best way to transliterate the original language is like the sun at high noon on a cloudless day. That when he said, watch this, and pow, he was shining. One of them later would say, and we beheld his glory. Another one said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right after that showing to those men, it says in Matthew 17, while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, the son of man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. They shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. Mark, commenting on this same event, said, But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. Matthew 20, it's the last week of Jesus before his crucifixion. It says in verse 17, he's going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, We go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. There is additional efforts to get them the message. There is that time in Simon's house when what was probably a former prostitute is crying, washing his dirty feet with her hair, breaking this box, this amazing fragrance filling that room. Judas saying, what a waste. And Jesus said, She's anointing me for my burial. The poor you always have with you, but I'm not going to be here much longer. He told his disciples one time, where I'm going, you can't come. And then, of course, the famous thing in John 14 where he said, I'm going to go away, but I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Look how much effort was placed into convincing them of his resurrection. 
Now, if you notice these three things, Matthew 16, 17, and 20, in every incident, he didn't just tell them, I'm going to die. He said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. But when he did resurrect, wow, did they need some convincing. Because the women went to the tomb early the first day of the week. They were confronted by an angel. I I like it. It's in Mark 16 and 5. It says they saw a young man. A young man. Obviously an angel. Clothed in a long white garment. And he simply said, he is risen. He's not here. Go tell the others. As they were leaving, something magnificent happened. Matthew 28 verse 9 says... And as they went, this is these women who have just seen this angel. As they went to tell his disciples, Jesus met them and said, all hail. And they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. In obedience to his command, these women went and told the disciples. In the meantime, the guard who had been guarding the tomb fled to Jerusalem in Matthew 28 and verse 11 to tell the high priest what happened. And he paid him off and bribed and said, shut your mouth. Now, as I've read to you, it was Peter and John's turn to go to the tomb. They saw the grave close. They went home. Next, Mary Magdalene comes to the grave. She has her encounter with the Lord. This is that place where When obviously she knew him very well before the crucifixion, but she did not immediately recognize him after. It said she thought it was the gardener. She didn't recognize the faith. There's a great scripture. It's in Isaiah. It said his visage would be marred more than his fellows. Another verse said he had no beauty to be desired. I am convinced that what he went through on that cross changed some of his appearance. It says in the book of Mark, chapter 16 and verse 12, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked. These guys are walking eight miles from Jerusalem back to Emmaus, have the same experience of Mary Magdalene. They do not recognize him. Mary Magdalene didn't recognize his face, but when he called her by name, she immediately knew it was him. She recognized the voice. These men in Mark 16 compel him to come home and have dinner with them. And apparently they did not recognize his appearance, but when he began to pray and break bread, they saw and they knew who he was. All of a sudden he's gone. At some point, and we don't know exactly when, he privately met with Peter. Because in Luke 24 it says, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with him saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Then he makes his first appearance to all of the 11 in Luke 24. But Thomas was not there. This is when he says, if I don't see him and I can't touch him, I won't believe. 
Now, Thomas got a bad rap through the years. He's known as Doubting Thomas, but that's not completely accurate because about a week later, Jesus appeared to all of them, including Thomas, and he said, handle me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see. Go ahead and touch me. Go ahead and touch me. He said, my Lord and my God. So he didn't stay a doubter forever. The 11 go to Galilee to meet the Lord on the mountain. Now, now really, they're with Jesus, walking, ended up at this mountain. And this is what it says in Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They still can't wrap their head around it. Later on, he will walk on top of the water and appear to seven of them who have gone with Peter back to their former vocation of fishing. For 40 days, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, doing his best to overcome their unbelief and their hesitation so that they would be absolutely convinced of his resurrection. There's a wonderful scripture in Luke 24 and verse 45. It said, then opened he their understanding and they understood the scriptures. Finally, it was, oh, I get it. But boy, was there a lot of effort to get them to that point. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, Luke said something that has always intrigued me. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Another translation calls it a watertight case being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Proofs, it says proofs, plural, not proof, proofs. More than just one meeting and more than just one kind of proof. I have always been convinced because of Israel's past association with Egypt, over 400 years they spent in Egypt, I'm convinced that Israel learned things there and kept things in their culture that they experienced in Egypt. One of these things I've always believed was burial. Something very interesting happened this week. I've, I've always wanted to go to Cairo, never been there yet, but uh, this week they opened the new archeological museum in Cairo. They did something fascinating. They, they built 12 gold floats, or 22 rather, 22 gold floats. They put it down the central road there in Cairo. In and on each of those floats was the mummy of a, a former pharaoh. And they transported and gave them these, these pharaohs as much attention and, and uh, glory as they possibly could. 22 mummies, kings. Many of them reigned over 4,500 years ago. And yet if you've ever done any work with this and studied it, the bodies of these pharaohs 
are amazingly preserved. I've always wondered if Israel didn't learn some things in their time in Egypt that they adopted regarding their burial techniques. 1927, Howard Carter discovered what is known as the tomb of Tutankhamun or King Tut. Among those fascinating, amazing, when Carter broke through that sealed wall and put a light in, they said, do you see anything? And he said, wonderful things. It would take several years to carefully go through that tomb, take out those pieces, until finally they came to the sarcophagus, which was one inside of another, almost like Russian dolls. When they came to the last one, this is what they saw right here. This is the, this is the funeral mask of Tutankhamun. Effort made. Preserve that face. Do everything you can to preserve that face. With that in mind, watch this. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, which is about 75 pounds. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in that place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There are references like this through the word. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, it says in Mark 11, no man had ever sat on this animal before. So not only did he sit on a, a donkey that no one had ever sat on, he's buried in a tomb that no one has ever been buried in. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy businessman, gives up his tomb, but it was kind of cool because it's like, I, won't, I only need it for a couple of days. You can, you can have it back. <laughs> but as I've read to you, this is Mark chapter 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, which is, you know, that's Mary, mother of Jesus, and Salome or Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Now, I know, according to John 14, that these men have prepared the body. They have linen strips. And they've got very expensive myrrh. And they've got this, aloe sap. It's not thin, it's very thick, it's very viscous. Aloe leaves are very thick leaves. And the sap, I think Matthew's got a picture of that, that sap that's in there. It's amazing stuff. If you've ever heard of aloe vera, people claim to get a lot of benefit from that. This is what they did. They took these linen strips 
and they dipped it in the resin from that aloe leaf. And then they wrapped it around that body, dipping it, wrapping it, again, 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 again. So I did my own little experiments. It is very obvious to me that they wrapped that body, but they left the face exposed. The reason I know that is because of this, the towel. They weren't, why were the women coming back to finish embalming the body, specifically the face, because they wanted to do everything they could to preserve that face. They had taken a cloth, dampened it, and laid it over his face. And on Sunday morning, these women were coming back to finish embalming that body, specifically the face. So I did my homework and I got me some sap and I went down to the store there and I bought a bolt of linen and I dipped it in there and I wrapped it and I wrapped it and I wrapped it. This is what intrigues me. Then went also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. John saw something so amazing that as soon as he saw it he knew. Now reason with me. If all he had seen was a discarded bunch of linen strips. That would have proven nothing. However, it says that the napkin that was on his face was folded and in a place by itself, away from where the corpse had been. There's a fascinating tradition among Orthodox Jews when you are sitting at a table and you have to get up and you're not coming back, you take your napkin and you wad it up and you put it in your plate. But if you're telling the host, I have to be gone, but I'll be right back. I'll be right back. This is what happened to me. I think that's what they saw. I think they saw a body cast because after two days, that sap hardens. Now, it could have been deflated, but what I am convinced of is John saw something that there was absolutely no way he could get out of that without disturbing that linen. He saw something he went, I believe. 
Now, if I saw that, I would believe. How in the world did you get out of there? <laughs> How in the world did you get out of here? Have you ever asked that question? How in the world did Jesus do that? When he did his first sermon in the book of Luke chapter 4, he does this amazing thing from Isaiah 61. It's called the acceptable year of the Lord, which meant it was a jubilee year in Israel. And all of a sudden, some, someone said, I've never heard anybody preach like this. And all of a sudden, some smart aleck said, wait a minute. Isn't that the kid? What, isn't that Joseph's boy that used to, aren't you the little kid used to be in a carpenter shop? And when he said that, they turned on him. And the Bible said they would have thrown him over the hill. But somehow, he just slipped right through him and disappeared. And went, How did you do that? Mark, Mark 16, he appeared in another form. I'm, I, I, listen to me right now. I, I don't care how well you think you know Jesus. Jesus is the greatest thespian the world has ever known. He's, he's like Superman, dude. He can go into a phone booth and come out with a whole different set of duds on. We think he's only there in joy. I'm telling you, he's there in sorrow. We think he's only there in the day. He's there in the night. You think you're alone. He said, I will never leave you. You're never going to be alone. To the end of the world. You're never going to be alone. Just how did he do that? How, how, how could he change and all of a sudden be with me in sorrow and sadness as well as joy and gladness? So my question to you, ladies and gentlemen, is very simple. What in the world is it going to take for you to finally believe he's alive? What is it going to take for you to finally understand I can trust him? You know, you, Moses, he, Moses, Moses is raised in a Pharaoh's house. He could have been the next king of Egypt if he would have just shut up. There's a great verse in the book of Hebrews. It, it said um, uh, uh, he, he, he considered himself the, the not, he, he wasn't Egyptian. It, it's like he's, he's walking with his, you know, this is Pharaoh's daughter that adopts him from that little boat in the, in, 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 by the water. And, 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 and she says, now, now when, when, when you grow up, you, 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 you're, you're going to be king. And I don't know what age it was, but Moses obviously looked and his stepmom and said, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not an Egyptian. You got that? I am not an Egyptian. Now think of that. If there's anybody that knew what the balance was in a royal checkbook, it's Moses. All he's got to do is shut up and he gets it all. But it doesn't say that. It said he considered himself not like all the rest of them, man. And he, he literally, he, he realized he was different than everybody else. He knows how that, and when he kills that Egyptian, he, he, he's on the FBI's most wanted list. His face is in every post office in Egypt. So he goes into exile, and he's there for years, until finally the bush, and the Lord said, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and you, can, you can read between the lines, hey, 
I've been Pharaoh's house. Uh, he's going to need some convincing. I just can't walk in there and barge in there and say, hey, let the greatest bunch of free labor you've ever had in your life go free. It wasn't, gonna, it wasn't <laughs> not like that. And, and he said, who should I say told me to tell him to let him go? You tell him I am that I am. Not just any I am. I'm that one. So it's pretty obvious to me he's referring to something in the past. So I went in the past and I found Genesis in chapter 15 where, 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 where he's talking to Abraham and he says in 15 and 1, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. In 15 and 7, he said, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. Here's Genesis 28 and 15. And behold, I am with thee, and I will keep you in all the places that you go. Think of, think of Jacob. I, I, I don't have time to do it. It's a favorite Bible lesson of mine. But I can prove to you biblically that Jacob is at least 70 years old when he runs away from home. After Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And, 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 and he ends up at Luz and he has that amazing vision, you know, of the ladder and angels going up and coming down. But, 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 but there's a, a, an amazing scripture. He said, if God will be with me. And keep me in the way that I go. And give me something to eat. And give me raiment to wear. And bring, my, 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 bring me back to my father's house in peace. Then, then he will be my God. And, and I'll, he said, then I'll tithe. It's like, okay, you're going to have to do this, 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 and this. And then I'll serve you. You better be real careful when you do those things with God. I met a guy recently. He said, you, you, I don't know if God ever wants me, preacher. And I, and I, and I said, why? He said, because I was at the casino downtown. And I said, oh, God, if you'll just help me win this thousand dollars, I'll never bet again. He said, I won. But he said, I never quit going to the casino. I just wonder how many times people said, if you'll just do this, if you'll do that. That's what Jacob did. But he kept his word that God did keep him and did give him food and garment and brought him back with peace with his brother Esau. It's just, listen to me. I, I, he said to Thomas, you know, he said, blessed art thou because you have seen and believed. But greater still are those that haven't seen and yet still believe. I, I wish I was in that second group. I wish I could tell you I've got this simple faith and all I had to do was read the Bible and say, I get it, I love you, Jesus, I'm going to serve you <coughs> for, the, for the rest of my life. But that, that's not my experience. I, I needed proof. I needed something to happen to me. I wonder how many people are in this room right now that you know you either could have died, should have died, and maybe somebody with you did die, but you're here alive by the grace and the mercy of God. So what's it going to take? What is it going to take? If you've got a child in the nursery, go get that child right now, and let me just talk to these people for a little while longer. It's just, I... I, I, I I, I just can't find anywhere in the Bible where, 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 where Jesus said, um, you know what, I, th th there is a possibility I just might be the right direction. 
uh, there's a pretty good chance I'm being honest with you right now. And, and, if, and, and if I had life, well, I might consider giving it to you. But that's not what he said. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What in the world is he going to... I've, I've said this for years. Too many things go on in church that we can explain. We need stuff to go on that nobody can explain. That you have to just step back and resign yourself and say, only the Lord could have done that. I believe I'm preaching to people right now with that type of experience that he did something in my life that nobody else could have ever done. And that's why I'm here right now. We are the people that need some proof. We are some people that need some convincing. But here we are. Here we are. Look at Saul of Tarsus. How how do we know he resurrected from the grave? How do we know? First of all, he said he was going to. And it says he's not a man that he should lie. It's just Jesus Christ was God in flesh and he said, I'm the truth. And you can no longer hold the honor of being called the truth if you don't tell something that's not the truth. If Jesus said, I'm going to rise again the third day, they asked him, are you, are you the Messiah? And he said, I am. That's me. Look at, look at the witness of Saul of Tarsus. There's not one place in the Bible where he had any desire to change, and yet he changed. Look at, I, I remember Larry King just died a couple weeks ago. I remember listening to Larry King and uh, he was he was talking to a preacher Charles Colson this is going back in time but Charles Colson was Richard Nixon's hatchet man when Nixon wanted something unpleasant done he always went to Colson Colson ended up in prison because of things that he had done for Richard Nixon and he perjured himself and lied under oath. When he got out of prison, he told this fascinating story about driving around the Beltway in Washington, D.C. And he said he picked up a hitchhiker, but he never slowed down. And he began to weep and began to speak in a language that he never recognized. He became international prison ministry director. People all over the world incarcerated looked at him like Chaplain Ray did many, many, many years ago. I I saw Larry King, who who was an agnostic Jew. He didn't say he was an atheist. He just said, I don't know if there is a God or not. But he asked Charles Colson, he said, look, I'm a Jew and I don't believe that story. You're not a Jew, and you do believe it. How in the world can you believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead? Charles Colson said, Larry, that's the easiest question in the world to answer. (laughs) Stunned King when he said that. And he said, "What, what do you mean by that? He said, well, what do you think happened? He said, I think the Roman soldiers stole the body. And, and he said, no, 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 Larry, if they would have stolen the body, they would have dug it up later 
and showed those Christians that they were all, it, it was all a farce. Here's his rotted corpse. He said that, well, then probably the disciples. So he said, no, no, no. He said, that's the best argument. He said, Larry, the disciples of Jesus not only died and were martyred for their faith, but they met their death with joy and they met their death gladly. If they would have stolen the body, they would have known the resurrection was a hoax and that it was all a lie. He said, listen, Larry, he said, I, I, I went to prison for Richard Nixon. And he said, none of us, none of us, we all knew he was a liar. And yet we went to prison to protect a lie. He said, you know how difficult it is to go to prison to protect a lie? And we knew even then behind bars, we had, we had, we had defended a man that was not honest. He said the disciples not only went to their grave, but they went to the grave gladly because when they saw the resurrected Christ, they lost their fear of death. They lost their fear of dying. Hallelujah. Who knows what's evidenced by people in this room here right now. And I'm telling you that this God that we serve is able to keep. He's able to redeem. He's able to heal. He's able to deliver. And he's able to save. He's risen. He's risen. He's alive. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, we've got this. Stand with me, please. If you take the top part off, just that thin little bit of plastic, the transparent part, it will give you that bit of wafer that's underneath it there. Maybe. Fingers are slippery. There we go. What we're about to do is one of the greatest witnesses of his resurrection that we could put. This ritual that we're about to be a part of is over 2,000 years old. And yet it has remained intact for all of these centuries. Why? He said, my truth endureth throughout all generations. It's true that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. He said, take this bread and eat it for it is my body that's going to be broken for you. And he said, take this cup which is the New Testament in my blood. And he said, every time you do it, you're remembering Remembering what I did. Remembering what I did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> we call this, you know, I do believe you ought to make a big deal about Easter. But the truth is, resurrection power is available on every Sunday. Not just on this one. And it doesn't just happen to happen on Sunday. Wouldn't it be horrible if someone came here today and said, I, 
I, I, I, I, want, I, want, I want to have access to the blood of Jesus. And, and we say, well, um, you're, you're in luck because we're really close to the Passover. Just, uh, just, just two more weeks and the Jews are going to celebrate Passover and you're going to have access to his blood. Or if someone came here today and said, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we say, you're out of luck, dude. You got to come back in June because June's Pentecost Sunday. And that's when we celebrate the outpouring of the Spirit. Wouldn't it be, would it be, would it be horrible if something happened? Like, if someone said, I want to be delivered. And we said, oh, you're really out of luck. That was two years ago. You got to wait 48 more years for the next Jubilee. And then you can get delivered. Jesus said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So you don't have, it's not a one time a year thing for the blood. It's not a one time a year for the infilling of the spirit. It's sure not a one time a year event for you to be delivered. Once he fulfilled something, you can enter into that covenant anytime you want. You can have access to the blood today. You can be filled with the spirit today. You can be delivered from your shackles today. You can be healed today. My question is, for goodness sake, what's he going to have to do to try and convince you that he is exactly who he said he was? There are people in this room right here, right now. We should have had their funeral last week. They got in accidents, not more than one, coming to church last Sunday. But guess what? They're here today, healthy, whole, What, what more does he have to do to tell you, I'm going to protect you? All the effort, the, the man, I'm listening to radio, other things online. Man, the, the massive effort made by the news media. Don't go to church tomorrow. Don't go to church. You're going to get the virus. You're going to, you're going to die, blah, 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 blah. And he says, yeah, here we are. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as nice of a guy as I can right now. But I want you to understand something. There's a power. Jesus said, when I get lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And when we come together and magnify him and exalt him, there is a divine attraction, amen, and a, and, 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 and a force, a power, a magnetic something that will draw you to him because people come together. Come with me before we go. Come with me out of here. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. These children not just children, young people saw the movie this week, Passion of the Christ. It's violent, it's violent, it's bloody. And yet I, I talked to young, young children in the break between services and I was saying, did you see it? Yes. I said, it was pretty violent, wasn't it? And, and young Pacheco told me, I understood now, Pastor, the sacrifice that he made for me. It costs something for you and I to be where we are right now. Have access to what we have access to. Raise your hands. Turn your prayers into praise. And let's magnify them together. Lord Jesus, I lift you up with my mind and my mouth. I lift you up with my hands and my body. You have lifted up my head, so I'm going to lift up my voice. And I'm going to lift up your name. 
I'm going to do my best to exalt your name, not just above, but far above every principality, every power, every might that is named in this earth, every name, Lord, under heaven. I'm believing you, Lord, right now. Father, there are people in this room that need healing. I'm not talking about mild pain. I'm talking about real, real pain. We need a healer in this room right now. There are people whose families are under attack. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The king's horses can't do that and the king's men, but the king of kings can do something that nobody else could ever do. I believe in you, Lord, for all of these magnificent, mighty things. Thank you for what we've seen. I don't need to see one more thing. You don't have to evidence ever again. I don't need another witness. I don't need another example. I don't need another interview. I believe. I believe, Lord. And I am confident that you are able to keep that which I have committed unto you against that day. Clap your hands, all ye people. And don't just clap. Clap and use your mouth. Clap your hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He overcame. We Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, we magnify you in this room right now. Believing you and trusting you, Father. Forgive us, God, for our unbelief. Forgive us of our doubt. But Lord, when you showed us, at least we had enough sense to grasp what you were doing and what you showed us. We have seen and we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now many of you are going to have dinner today. And it won't just be you and your couple kids. It's very possible grandpa's going to be there. Grandma's going to be there. When you have dinner, if possible, have the elder tell his story. Grandpa, just stop that thing right there and tell your kids and tell their kids if you're blessed to have grandchildren. You may even have great-grandchildren. Tell them about when God got a hold of your life. Tell them a story that only you saw that. You, you saw it. Not something you heard happen to somebody else. You saw the Lord do that. Give a witness to that family of yours. I was young, now I'm old. I never did have to beg. I never did have to plead. He's kept me. He's taken care of me. Hallelujah. It's been an honor to teach you the word of the Lord today. I want you to have a great day. Great day. With your family and friends, break some bread. Be careful how you talk. Be careful. Just, just guard. Just guard your mind and guard your mouth today. Just, just consecrate this day unto him. If you can, come and pray with me tomorrow night. We're going to have a great time in prayer then. I love all of you. He's alive. Jesus is alive.